Hi, I'm Shiv Vivlani, welcoming you to Raise Line with Osmosis from Elsevier, an ongoing exploration about how to improve health and healthcare. We're going to do that today with Dr. Michelle Thompson, Medical Director of the Lifestyle Medicine Institute at University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. In that role, she is working to place self-care in the center of patient care and employee health and changing the way medical education and residency is taught. As a fierce advocate for physician wellness and combating burnout, she's created full-day programs for physicians and nurses to learn tools for resilience and self-care. Dr. Thompson is triple board certified in lifestyle, integrative, and osteopathic family medicine, and incorporates culinary medicine and mind-body skills into her patient care. And before we get started, I'd like to give a shout out to Dr. Dave Rabins, a mutual friend and colleague who started Apollo Neuroscience and also was at University of Pittsburgh and knows Dr. Thompson well. So Michelle, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's exciting to be with you and really get to talk about what's going on on the cutting edge of medicine. Absolutely. And I know a lot of our team at Osmosis has followed some of your work because even this year, I think at least one or maybe two New York Times articles have featured you and your work both in lifestyle medicine as well as in, in generative AI. So we're going to get into that in just a, a couple of minutes. But first, just for our audience's benefit, do you mind just giving a, us a sense of what got you interested in medicine and a career in medicine and then ultimately lifestyle medicine as a focus area? Yeah, well, for me, I lost my grandfather. He passed away at 36 years old, and I wasn't even born yet, and he had diabetes. And essentially, I learned over time that poor diet, lifestyle really was what was not beneficial for him and really left his family behind without him. And when I became a mom myself, I thought I need to take really good care of myself. I'm bringing a child into this world, and, and I want to be there for him. So I really changed my own diet and lifestyle 32 years ago. My son is 32. So I adopted a plant-based diet back then and exercised and worked on mindfulness and all of those things when it wasn't even cool. <laughs> and, you know, I when I was in medical school, I was also running a massage therapy program. So I have a background in Eastern medicine massage therapy, body work, neuromuscular therapy, and blended it into osteopathic medicine. And it just made sense to go out into family medicine and merge all of these different modalities. Lifestyle medicine wasn't a thing back then, really, that I knew of. So I became board certified in integrative medicine after family medicine, and then went back and got my lifestyle medicine board certification, really realizing that lifestyle medicine was where we were going to create change in our world, because we can't argue the six pillars of lifestyle medicine, sleep, exercise, nutrition, stress management, substance use, and connection with others. You know, integrative medicine can be questionable at times, right? Some people may not agree with it. It may not resonate with them. But those six pillars are not something we can argue about. We, we know that we all need those things. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's interesting you started this over 30 years ago, because I think in the 90s, going plant-based or vegan or whatever it may be, probably made made you look weird, whereas now it's very in vogue and there's a lot of research backing it all up. What are some of the, the things that you incorporate now that you find most useful for your own self-care? I'm just curious. I like to ask that question to people who teach others. Like, What, what has been the biggest game changers for you? So I've practiced yoga for 20 years, and that is like mandatory in my life. It just has to be. If I'm not on my mat, even when I go to on vacation for 10 days or something, if I'm not really on my mat, I just don't feel solid, you know. Our our mat is our yoga mat is a reflection of how our, our we are in our life. So when I just came back from Europe and I 
you know, was off my mat, it was like, wow, my balance is off and, you know, my head is not as clear and all of that stuff. So yoga is mandatory for me in my life. I have a very strong mind body medicine practice. I got work, I got certified in mind body medicine, started my training with the Center for Mind Body Medicine in 2018, which is what led to the article in burnout and the work that I did with, with physicians and frontline workers during the pandemic. And I started breathing with my patients. So I teach every single patient a soft belly breathing practice. And I do that with them so that they know that they can come back to that and ground themselves in that. So I started that because I had a physician in my mind body skills group who said, you know, it's really weird to breathe with our patients. It feels uncomfortable. And I thought, wow, we all breathe, right? Like what is one thing that we all share in common on this planet and we all breathe? And how come that feels weird to us as physicians to breathe together? And what I found is when I introduced that and I started breathing with 100% of all my patients, it really grounded us both and got us more mindful and ready to, you know, talk about their health care and, and, and level the playing field and allow us to be part of the same team, right? That's fascinating. So so just to be clear, like when you see a patient, you, you start those interactions with a, a breathing practice to, to ground yourself or how does... So normally what I do with a brand new patient, I talk to them about the six pillars. I say, these are the six pillars of lifestyle medicine. I'm board certified at this as well as integrative medicine. I name some of them, sound therapy, art therapy, aromatherapy, yoga, tai chi, supplements, herbs, etc. Mind body medicine. And I ask them, what are, how, what does a day in the life of Shiv look like? And share with me about those six pillars and how you're doing with those things. And then do you have a breathing practice? Because we should all have a little breathing practice to ground us. And I share the story with them that I was on an airplane that caught on fire. And when it caught on fire, I was like, oh my gosh. And what I did, I was looking out the window at the wing on fire and I thought, cool, this is something, right? So I looked at my husband, I said, I love you. I held his hand, I said a prayer and I, I said, okay, I can't think about the past and I can't think about the future. I know as long as I have my breath, I'm safe and I'm well, I'm going to tap in. This is my tool. It's all I have in this moment. I don't have my yoga mat, right? So I, I think it's so important because even if you're having a moment, you can pause and breathe. Like even us right now, if I just said, you know, would it be okay if we breathe together? And and we can do that. I would love to do that, actually. You like maybe I haven't done that. Yeah, I would love I'd love to do that. Let's do it. So let's do it. Okay. So if you are in a place that you feel comfortable closing your eyes and you want to do that, go ahead. And if not, just softly gaze at the floor. But begin to come into your breath, breathing slowly and deeply in through your nose, all the way to the top of your head. Letting it out through your mouth all the way to the bottom of your feet. Letting go of any thoughts of the past, anything that no longer serves you, not thinking about the future, anything we need to do when we're done here, but really just being right here, right now with our breath, in through our nose, out through our mouth. Maybe placing one hand on your chest and one hand on your belly if that feels comfortable and accessible to you. And Breathing at your own pace, and as you breathe in, feeling your chest rise as you breathe in and your belly expand as you breathe out. Thinking soft as you breathe in, belly as you breathe out. And if your mind begins to wander, come back to that mantra of soft 
belly, knowing that it's in the mind's nature to wander. But we can control our nervous system with our breath, helping us to move from the sympathetic fight or flight nervous system into the parasympathetic rest, relax, digest. Continuing to breathe slowly and deeply and maybe getting a little more comfortable reminding yourself we deserve to be comfortable. We deserve to pause and breathe and honor this breath. And as long as we have this breath, we're safe and we're well. And we may not have a lot of certainty of what's going on in the world around us, but we have control of our breath. And we can use that as our superpower to tap back into our own mind-body connection. And make this next breath the most mindful breath you've ever taken in your entire life, really feeling that quality of the air as it goes in through the nostrils and out past the lips. And when you feel ready, and only when you feel ready, if your eyes are closed, maybe softly opening them, maybe smiling, honoring yourself and appreciating yourself, having some kindness and compassion for yourself. And knowing that caring for ourselves is caring for others. And this self-care is not selfish. And then coming back to the screen or space, wherever you may be, and reconnecting with whoever is around you. That's incredible. Thank, thank you, Michelle. That's the first time in over 400 episodes we've actually taken time to do a breath practice. We've, we've had AI write a song. You know, we've had people you know well, people like James Nestor who wrote Breath, Scott Carney who wrote The Wedge and other books, Wim Hof we've had on the podcast. So we've had these really awesome people. But actually, we've never actually done a practice, so I'm really glad you did that for our audience. Oh, well, well, thank you for inviting me to do it. I'll tell you a funny story. I got a new administrator recently, and the, and we were in the midst of the meeting, and he said, Dr. Thompson, can I stop you for a moment and just ask you, the old administrator told me that you start all your meetings with breath work, and we didn't do that today. Would we be able to do that? <laughs> I was like, Yeah. <laughs> And I didn't do it because he was new to me. And I just thought, well, we had a lot to cover. And then I then I remembered, you know, it matters. It really centers us and kind of helps us to come into the space and be more mindful and be more connected and more available to each other. Absolutely. That's very cool. And, you know, one of the reasons we even started Osmosis in the first place was, you know, we realized the power of education to influence behavior change. And increasingly, as you know, osmosis grew, we went from, you know, the mechanics of medicine, like what drugs to prescribe when, what the side effects, what tests to run, into more of the Eastern medicine or more, you know, concepts like breath work, sleep medicine, lifestyle medicine, really, these pillars you talked about, largely because there's evidence that clinicians who practice what they preach are more believable. They're more effective at influencing patients to do behavior change. And frankly, you know, if we can give them the tools, apart from systemic changes that we've talked about in the podcast, but the tools like you're doing for resilience and, you know, combating moral injury and burnout, you know, if you can keep a clinician into viable practice for an extra year, that's hundreds of patients who are benefiting from that. 
So that's wonderful. You practice, you've clearly practiced what you preach. I know we've had people, I've talked to people who talk about this stuff, but to take the time to actually do it on the podcast is very cool. Yeah. Well, you know, all my medical students and residents, they learn to do this with me and then they begin to do it with the patients. And I think that that's been one of the things I realized recently that my biggest gift that I can give to the world in my next, however long I'm going to be in practice is to teach and to share this with our medical students and residents moving forward because, and attendings, I, I do tons of work at, you know, physician burnout in general and with our UPMC Physician Thrive team. And if we are caring for ourselves, we are more available to others because we're stopping and pausing. And what better way to stop and pause in your day but to breathe with the people around you? So, I mean, it's just a nice way to utilize the self-care tool and for the, the everybody around you to feel it. The, last week I had my physician assistants who work with me. They were breathing with each other and then my medical assistants. And I'm like, oh, my heart was so full because I see the ripple of what I have done with, you know, our next generation that they're going to realize that this is important because I mean, especially our medical students and residents who have been training in a pandemic. Wow. Right. The even lack of connection, the lack of, you know, I mean, I still just have students right now that are quarantined again and I'm virtual for the majority of my practice, but they're able to jump into my schedule, but they otherwise would be home isolated and quarantined just because they have COVID. They're not sick, but they want to still participate. So we have to just think outside of the box. That's the only way we can truly change healthcare is and transform it is to begin with ourselves. Yeah. And, and that's the way I show up, you know? That's very clear. I've only, you know, had you on the podcast for 15 minutes and it's super clear. You practice what you preach. And, you know, so, so let's talk a bit about that, like the, the Institute, kind of what is your, you know, maybe you can give us an overview of the Institute and what are some of the programs you're leading? Because it sounds like you're doing quite a few things across different stages of training, yeah. uh, attending to med student, as well as, you know, your own PAs and MAs, not just medical, you know, physicians, but also nurses and, and other healthcare professionals. Yeah, so a day in the life of me, of Michelle Thompson, is I, you know, I wear my Apollo Neuro, shout out to Dave Rabin. I think that that's really helpful for me for stress management as well. Track my own sleep, wear an aura ring, because I think that's important. That keeps me honest with myself. I am in my office two days a week, or one day a week in person, two days a week virtual. And what that day looks like is different all the time. I have medical students that join me from Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine, University of Pittsburgh Medical School, School of Medicine, Philadelphia, and then sometimes other schools that if they're doing rotations, electives, and they want to be with me virtually. So I have my medical students with me, third and fourth year. Sometimes I have my residents. I, have, I oversee the lifestyle medicine residency curriculum for our entire system. So in at UPMC, we have eight family medicine residency programs that have lifestyle medicine curriculum in place that they can be duly boarded at the end of family medicine and lifestyle medicine. Internal medicine is offering it and of most recent physical medicine and rehab. So we have three different specialty, you know, tracks for lifestyle medicine along with those and they jump into my schedule. So that's one of the big reasons why I'm virtual because UPMC has 43 hospitals and it's big and they're all over the place. My residents, some of them I never meet face to face, but they get to work with me. In my own practice, I utilize lifestyle medicine every single patient visit because that always really gets me to the answer. 
right? If you have insomnia, you're not maybe going to take the best care of yourself because you're exhausted. You know, if you're super stressed out, you may grab food that's not good for you because you just don't care, right? If you, you know, you're not exercising because, you know, there's reasons, right? The, the six pillars really are what I focus on with everybody. And then I also, with the Lifestyle Medicine program at UPMC, I oversee for all of our up, up to, I think we have close to 93,000 employees, really trying to put self-care lifestyle medicine in the center of, of our own employee health, as well as patient care. So I run group medical visits for patients for weight management, as well as you know nutrition, movement, stress management. I run mind-body skills groups for patients. So that's been something that was recently just added in and hopeful to end, also enter group medical visits for menopause and kidney disease and, you know, more disease specific hypermobility syndrome, stroke, post-stroke movement disorders, things like that. So, so really at all levels, right? So in, in those group medical visits, medical students can jump in, residents can jump in, attendings can jump in because we're virtual. They can learn how to run these groups for themselves outside of, you know, so it's really, I always call it, it's my training playground. Everything I do is a training playground and the patients love the learners because they really want, they know medicine is changing and that we're really teaching this self-care at the center of everything and lifestyle medicine. Really, they watch the, the learners really transform the way they interact with patients and they know that they, the learners will be the ripple that changes the world. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. And that, again, that's one reason we've, we've had people like you on the podcast is to, to start getting our learners to better understand what, you know, to incorporate these habits that eventually will be the foundation for their practice. Because as I've said in this podcast many times before, we're never going to have enough endocrinologists to treat all the diabetes in the world or enough neurologists to treat all the dementia. But if we're able to get, you know, third graders incorporating some of these breathing practices or better eating habits, then we can, as we said during COVID ad nauseum, flatten the curve. It isn't just for COVID, it's for any sort of health issue. So how, how do you, I'm curious, how do you measure success of like the Institute and the programs you're deploying? Because, you know, I think I'm bought in on lifestyle medicine. Are you still seeing any pushback from providers, from like, you know, chief medical officers? You know, UPMC, I think is very innovative, clearly given you and Shiv from Abridge, who we've had on the podcast and many others. I think it's a really innovative place, but you know, how do you just decide success? And are you seeing this shift happen across different healthcare systems as well? Or is this Pittsburgh specific? Oh, no. So it's, it's healthcare across the country. So for the American College of Lifestyle Medicine has a health systems council that I've been part of since the onset. And there were just a few hospitals in the beginning. And now we have almost 100, 96 exactly, last I knew of hospitals that have some form of lifestyle medicine somewhere, whether it's the lifestyle medicine residency curriculum, the lifestyle medicine interest group associated with the medical school, whether they have a lifestyle medicine program and they're doing group medical visits. So the health systems council really is where I find my strength because I kind of show up and say, I, I just presented this to them recently. This is what I'm doing in burnout. I give them a 25 minute, you know, overview so that they, these hundred leaders of hospitals go back and go, oh yeah, Dr. Thompson's doing this out in you know, in Pittsburgh, and I'm going to do this at Loma Linda, which is exactly what happened with that. I saw Loma Linda's program that had PM&R 
with lifestyle medicine. And I was like, well, why don't we do this? So I reached out to PM&R and said, hey, this would be great. And next thing you know, we have lifestyle medicine residency curriculum in PM&R and the residents are rotating with me and learning. And so I think that that's, it's just going to continuously change, right? We have to, it's tough, it's hard work and it's not easy, right? Do I get resistance sometimes? Yes, absolutely. Why? Because physicians are tough cookies. They don't want to change their own diet and lifestyle. You know, I mean, it's a badge of honor to not sleep, right? Like that's the way the training was for residency. Like you're not supposed to sleep for 36 hours and you're supposed to still see patients. And, you know, you're not supposed to eat when you need to eat. You're not supposed to drink when you need to drink. You're not supposed to, you know, like manage your stress. Like it was, that was the old school training. And this new program really is teaching the residents to put that self-care front and center. And when we do that and they man, they sort of like own that for themselves and mandate that for themselves, patients see that. And they also see our human side. We're humans, we're not robots. And so that's how we begin to change the culture of medicine is with ourselves. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm glad to hear that. Again, it's expanding. It's, you know, like the Loma Linda example, you know, you're able to if you can expand some of the things that work to other institutions, that's like a ripple effect as you're, as you're sharing, because maybe there's a future Dr. Thompson at Loma Linda who will also keep expanding it. You know, we recently at Elsevier released this clinician of the future report. It's the second year we've done this surveying thousands of clinicians around, around the world, healthcare professionals. And last year, about 33% said that they were considering leaving their roles within two to three years. This year, it's a little higher at 37%. The pandemic obviously exacerbated things plus systemic issues like like pay, like hours, you know, there's nursing strikes at various health systems as well. A lot of people don't actually go to residency or don't finish, become actual providers, or they leave, go to digital health companies. We've had a lot of those kind of physicians too. You know, what, what are, you, you know, your, what's your take on like the moment we are in with physician burnout, moral injury or provider burnout? And like, what's actually going to make a dent in it for the next 10 years? Is it scaling up more of these lifestyle medicine programs or I know you were featured in a recent New York Times article about generative AI, reducing administrative burden. I'd just love to hear your prognostication for how we're gonna turn the tide on moral injury and burnout. Yeah, I think we just have to keep talking about our lifestyle medicine and mind-body medicine and humanizing the all who are in healthcare. I think that that's really important. AI has been very helpful for me. I love Div Rao who created that. He and I have been, you know, friends for the past five years working on this project. I've watched it grow and change in a variety of ways. It has really reduced my charting time from two hours to 20 minutes. I actually just did a, a demo on it this morning for a, a another hospital to show them you know how i was using it and answer a lot of questions i use it as a an attending as well so the residents you know are able to use it with me and the medical students are able to see it being used so i think ai has helped a ton i think also really just making the, the culture of wellness across the institution it has to be there right we need to change all of it we need to insist that we all take breaks and vacations we need to make sure that we're we have options for whole food plant plant-based diets and you know food that is nourishing to our bodies and not garbage one of the big things that at upmc we're taking out all the deep fryers you know so no more french fries eventually like as soon as they break that's it they're gone we're building a whole new hospital in the city that's going to have a lifestyle village with the first three floors really 
catering to the lifestyle of the community because it is the community that we are trying to connect to and help. And I think also knowing that it's hard, it's not easy to take care of ourselves, right? Like being human is hard. Post COVID, it's really hard, you know? And I think that's what always brings me back to starting with myself. Like how can I best care for me? so that I can best care for everybody else around me and then communicating it, right? Like just having these conversations. Thank you for, for bringing up these conversations because unless the residents and medical students come out knowing that things can be different, they don't want to go into this torturous job that they never sleep and they're charting all night and all of that. Right. And they don't get time for their family and they don't get time to exercise. They go, don't get time to eat dinner together and all of that. Like nobody wants to sign up for that. So I think just knowing that we have to recreate that makes a huge difference. And I, I see it changing. I really do see it changing. I think physicians in general, like I said before, are a very challenging population. And I think when a physician is vulnerable, those around them are more vulnerable. And vulnerability breeds courage and strength, right? Brene Brown says that. And I think that I think that's really important. I'm always very vulnerable about if I need something for me in this moment. And I come back to where am I in this moment? Yeah. Leading by example is really important. My hope is there are more people like you at, at embedded in every health system as well, because I think you know, I don't know if we have one at Hopkins, but I know at Hopkins, I, as you know, I've resumed med school there. The, the gym is actually closing at the end of this year so they can build a new massive life science building. So there's no student gym on campus starting in January. So it's like, what? Like, that's that's like the opposite. Like a, a decade ago when I first started at Hopkins, the only food options if you live on campus within like a one mile radius were like Popeye's, another like mom and pop fried chicken shop. And in the hospital, it was like, you know, one of these taco chains, not Taco Bell, but some other Mexican chain. It was like, you can't get a salad. You can't get like a, a real healthy salad or tofu anywhere within a mile. And this was before DoorDash and stuff. So, yeah, that was like, you know, what that three or six months of starting med school, I gained 15, 20 pounds in that six months stress of med school, plus like living in a food desert. So I'm really glad you're addressing that as well. And, and you, University of Pittsburgh is. So we have whole food plant-based options in our inpatient setting for our patients who are post-MI or, you know, any any disease that they're in there for, or any reason they're hospitalized, they have the ability to get a whole food plant-based meal. Wow. And also, you know, dietitians are teaching whole food plant-based consults for the patients at the bedside. I teach a program called Doctors in the Kitchen Food as Medicine that I created back in, I think, 2016. And really that, I just get in the kitchen and cook with my colleagues. Wow. I love it. Maybe one day we'll cook together, Shem. I love that. That would be fantastic. Yeah. And I, I've done it virtually and I've done it in person. You know, for three years, we were completely virtual. But we're now back in the kitchen. So we have teaching kitchens and there will be a teaching kitchen in our new hospital that we're building. And I think that that's important, too, to teach the physicians that are already out there that this food can taste good. You know, like it's not just bland tofu and kale that makes you choke and right i mean i love tofu and kale and they're almost always in my my programs just because i want to showcase that these foods can taste good but being able to give this to our patients and to the people working in the hospital and to our community is really important we're even going to have a grocery store on site that people can get these meals to go and take home to their families in a family style sort of takeout 
So, and, and I think that that's what we have to just continue to get this message across. This may not be what everybody wants, but this is what the world needs. Because like you said, I mean, this chronic disease is because of the lifestyle that people are leading, right? So we have to teach them different. That's super cool. And it has to be done in a way that is affordable for all and accessible for all. And I'm a big proponent of that because I grew up in, you know, a very underserved population. So I know that it was difficult for my mom to feed my sister and I when we were young. And I, I have a huge passion for that, just making sure that everybody has access to care as well as healthy, nourishing foods for our bodies and education, right? To know what's right for themselves and to be that advocate for themselves because they tap into their own inner healer and they are able to communicate and the physicians listen because they're allowing them that space to be seen and heard. Yeah, wow, that's really cool about the test kitchen. I, I, I didn't actually know that. I knew, I knew you were doing culinary medicine, but that, that's very cool and hopefully we'll see that it happens soon enough. I'm more to be respectful of your time, so I only have two other questions for you. The first is my favorite question we ask guests on the podcast, which is, you know, you're speaking to our audience, a lot of current and future healthcare professionals. You know, this podcast in particular has been full of advice, but, you know, if you were to wrap up some of your advice that you want to leave our audience with about approaching their careers as healthcare professionals, you know, what, what type of things would you want to leave them with? I think knowing that anything is possible, you know, I took a traditional medical practice 20 years ago, I walked in the door and I just said, this is the way I'm going to practice medicine. And I said to the patients, this may be something you want, and this may not be, and I won't abandon you. I'll make sure that you have a physician that is along your same lines of what you want. But, you know, I made a commitment that I wasn't going to give a pill for every ill and that I was going to put food first always. And lifestyle always. And I was going, you know, I'm a deprescribing specialist. So I help people get off of medication, not continue to pile it on. And so I think, you know, demanding that and being an advocate for yourself, especially if you're a physician, you know, not allowing others to judge you and shame you for being different. I mean, again, being a vegetarian for 32 years and being integrative, you know, I've heard people whisper behind my back, oh, she's the integrative one, you know, like I wear like, you know, like crazy, like horns on my head or something. Right. <laughs> but really what I always said is that I want to, you know, I want to change healthcare the way it's delivered and it starts with me. And so knowing that that's possible and that you can advocate for yourself of who you want to care for. I just, I tell my residents this all the time. If I choose not to do abortions for a living, I don't have to, Nobody's going to force me. If I choose to not use insulin in my practice with my diabetic patients and put food and you know lifestyle first, that's my choice too. And those insulin needing patients can go to the endocrinologist or to, you know, another place to get them. You know, we we I definitely have like my resources for everybody. Nobody's not getting what they need. But that's how I built an entire practice that is sustainable, that's lifestyle integrative and mind body medicine. And I'm building, you know, bringing my physician assistants in and nurse practitioner and learners to learn in this space. So you can do anything you want to do. And I think integrating this into traditional healthcare and showing that it works because you asked before, does it work? Yes, it works. You know, I see A1Cs go from, you know, 14 down to six. And people go from 27 pills down to zero. I mean, that's what my world is about. So you just, you never know unless you try. So please just don't give up on yourself as, 
you know, a physician in or a healthcare worker, or, or you know, don't give it up on yourself as a human being on this planet to, you know, first start with you, then it ripples out to your family, to your friends, to all those that you may care for. Yeah, that's wonderful advice, just being super authentic to your core values. And then, you know, that sort of shines and gets, you know, you can build a practice or an organization based on those values. Certainly something we've done at Osmosis and something I would echo, because I think I agree with you wholeheartedly that ultimately, I think part of moral injury is when clinicians know that there's issues like upstream. For example, we had Dr. Michael Mithoffer, who you may know from MAPS, which just released this awesome phase two clinic or phase three clinical trials in nature medicine last week. And he was an emergency medicine doc and was getting burned out because he realized so many of the patients coming into the ER had mental health issues that were way upstream of them showing up in the ER and, you know, replaced mental health with, you know, cardiovascular or neurological, whatever, you know, lifestyle medicine, preventive issues too. So he went back and got a psychiatry did a psychiatry residency, became a psychiatrist, and now is the, the main MD at MAPS, you know, helping bring bring forward the MDMA-assisted psycho, psychedelic therapy for preventing or changing people's behaviors and, you know, preventing them from progressing from PTSD to suicide, for example. So I, I think that authenticity is key, and I would echo that, so I'm glad you gave our audience that, that advice. Well, and I'm glad that you had him on because I think the big thing with the psychedelics, I just got trained in psychedelic assisted psychotherapy for, you know, I'm the, I'm really known as the anti-drug girl, right? And so I, I couldn't even understand why I was doing this. I was like, I just feel like I need to integrate this. I need to learn about it. And what I learned is, is that sometimes we can't get to the spot that we need to get to, to implement these lifestyle pillars or integrative or mind-body modalities. But the, the use of ketamine, MDMA, you know, psilocybin, we're learning helps to be that that window to our soul. You know, I mean, I was in this space with 15, you know, mental health workers and 10 physicians really just seeing that we all needed to go inward. And that's what those substances do. They allow us to shine the light in the dark spaces that we may have suppressed. For a lot of reasons, right? I mean, we're all human beings and, and we, we put things in the drawer because we don't want to deal with them. So that's what those substances do. And so I'm a huge fan in, if done in a thoughtful way. And that's why I wanted to learn it so I can help my patients not just go out to a ketamine clinic and get it, right? Because that's what it's a, you know, it's a drive through. So we can integrate it into their traditional healthcare. Yeah, it's a it's a tool like any other, and it's not supposed to be chronic chronic use, right? I'm supposed to be taking you know MDMA every 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 week or every month. Then it becomes drug abuse, right? Then it becomes drug abuse. So yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, and yeah, it's just fantastic. So yeah, and there was an article actually done on the use of ketamine in in frontline workers and how it it showed improvement. So you know, in physician burnout, I mean, that was another big reason why I wanted to explore that and see how we can help those physicians, right? Yeah, I love that. That's definitely been a theme of our psychedelic coverage on the podcast. My last question for you, is there anything else you want to share with our audience before we let you go? I know there's so many things we, we could have talked about, but for the sake of your time and our time and our audience's time, we tend to keep these short. So anything else you want to leave our audience with? Yeah, I don't, I just think, you know, that it's important that we, never underestimate what is possible in our world, right? Because being in a healthcare system that is upwards of 100,000 employees, often days seem daunting 
to create change that I'm attempting to create. But I remind myself on a daily basis, nobody's ever taken a hospital system and tried to transform it. The best way to go about everything is to put one foot in front of the other and to follow your heart because our egos often get in the way. And I think we need to get out of the way of our ego. Listen, close your eyes, quiet your mind, tap into your heart and feel your way down the path. And I think if every human did that, our world would be a better place. Hmm. That's really inspirational words to end on. And with that, Michelle, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us on the podcast, but more importantly for the authentic way you've built your practice and all the stuff you've done to change, I think, the culture of medicine, both locally in your practice, but also obviously nationally and probably beyond globally. I, I hope our audience really pays attention and reaches out to you based on this conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun to be with you today. Likewise. And with that, I'm Shiv Rivlani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to raise line and strengthen our healthcare system. We're all in this together. Take care. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.